please sit down. Well, throughout the summer holidays, we've um, been looking at the accounts about Jesus' life, all found in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We looked at uh, the very first week at Jesus calling the first disciples, um, how they left everything to follow Jesus. And then last week, we looked at Jesus feeding a crowd of what we discovered were well over 5,000 people when you added in all the, the children and the, as well. Um, and today's story follows on immediately um, and neatly from, um, from what happened last, uh, what, we, what we learned last week. So I would like, if you've got a Bible, to turn to Matthew 14, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 22. Matthew 14, um, reading from verse 22. It's, this, it's the account of Jesus walking on the water. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Give thanks to God for his amazing words. So Jesus descend, uh, sends his disciples away. They've been with him since that very first call when Jesus called them to follow him. They've stayed with Jesus. They haven't left his side. Apart from when Jesus sent out the 12, you may remember the account, he sends them out with authority to heal the sick and to drive out evil spirits. And out they go, the 12 of them. And they come back excited at what they've been able to do. So far for these disciples, life has been really good. Jesus isn't only a great teacher, but he's provided for their physical needs, as we discovered last week with a fantastic picnic. He's shared his authority with them. What's not to like about following this Jesus? And then after a busy day, it's late, they're tired, and Jesus makes his disciples go on ahead of him in the boat to the next place, while Jesus chooses to go up on the mountainside by himself to spend some time alone in prayer. Perhaps to start with, the 12 of them, they didn't even notice that Jesus wasn't there. They were probably high as kites from the picnic, I think I would have been, having seen that amazing miracle. They were buzzing with excitement. They're ready for anything. And anyway, Peter and, and the other, for, uh, some of the other disciples were fishermen, weren't they? So they were fully capable of steering a ship, a boat, sorry, uh, to the other side of the lake. What did they have to worry about? It didn't even occur to them that a storm 
may be brewing. But the storm came. And Matthew tells us that the boat was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them. This is such a great picture of life, isn't it? How often has this happened to you? Life can go, and be, go from being absolutely great and wonderful one minute to falling apart the next, can't it? Suddenly we find the wind is against us. We're buffeted and tossed about by difficulties and troubles that we just didn't see coming. Now, the reality this morning for you might be that you're still at the picnic. You're still having a wonderful time and you've got nothing to worry about. Life's good and you're free from worry. That might well be you this morning and I hate to burst your bubble. But the truth is, and life tells us, that the next storm is probably not that far away. And if it's not that far away, then you probably have friends who are going through storms at the moment or you've just perhaps come out of a storm. But for others of you here this morning, you might well be right in the middle of what you feel is a hurricane um, battering you. And I think if we're honest, for all of us, at one level or another, the last 18 months certainly has felt like a storm, hasn't it? Of varying degrees um, for each of us. So I asked the question this morning, what does Matthew teach us as he chooses to retell, us, retell this story in his gospel that we need to remember when we're caught in a storm. So even if you're not at the moment, that you can hold on to when those storms come. So the first thing I think Matthew helps us with is that in the storm, you can still be in the center of God's will. In the storm that you're facing, you could still be in the center of God's will. Did you notice that phrase Matthew deliberately uses right at the beginning? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. This wasn't the disciples' decision. They didn't want to leave Jesus. He made them go. They were right in the center of God's will. They were being totally obedient to what Jesus had asked them to do, to go on in the boat. And the storm still came. The storm still happened for them. Now, there are times when disobedience can, um, on our part, can lead to problems and difficulties as a consequence of straying away from God. But this passage shows us that even when we're being obedient, we're not promised that life will always be easy. So if you became a Christian thinking that you were in for a carefree, wonderful life, well, you've not chosen well, because life can be tough. Troubles will come. Jesus promises his disciples, doesn't he, that in this life there will be trouble. That promise is for us too if we are followers of Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we've done something wrong. The disciples here hadn't done anything wrong in this story. They'd done everything right, actually, because obedience to God is always, always the right choice. So we need to remember in the storm that we, are, we can still be in the center of God's will. But we also need to remember in the storm that God never loses sight of us. If you're facing a fierce storm this morning, if something is really, the wind is really against you, I think you need to hear this truth. God hasn't lost sight of you. This, uh, this, this story sorry, um, is also told in the Gospels of Mark and of John. And Mark says this, he says, Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars, 
because the wind was against them. Jesus on the mountain, as he was praying, he saw the disciples straining at the oars. So often, we are the ones who lose sight of God in the storms of life, aren't we? The wind becomes relentless. We ask, where's God when it hurts? We ask how and we ask why. We struggle to feel him. We struggle to see him. We struggle even to talk to him. Our prayers can feel completely empty, like they're bouncing off the ceilings. And like the disciples, we can become exhausted as the long night of battle takes its toll on us. But Jesus hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't lost sight of them. God sees them and God sees us. This morning, we need to remember in the storm that God sees us. He hasn't forgotten us and he hasn't abandoned us. Also in the storm, I think this story tells us that we might not recognize Jesus in the storm. We might not recognize him. These disciples are young and they're fit and they're used to rowing. They're used to um, being out in the elements. But even they are struggling now with the wind against them. We find out that they've been in the boat for hours. It's now about three o'clock in the morning. It's dark and they're miles from the shore. They're exhausted, they're disheartened, and they're so aware that Jesus isn't in the boat with them. Of course, the last time they faced a storm, Jesus was in the boat, wasn't he? He was fast asleep as it happens. Um, but he was close. He was close enough to do something. And they'd have marveled at what Jesus had done in calming the storm. And they're desperate for help. They're battling on. They feel as if they're alone. And they don't recognize Jesus. They don't recognize Jesus as he approaches them. In fact, uh, Matthew tells us they're filled with even more fear, aren't they, as he approaches. I just wonder this morning, is it possible that we're not expecting to find Jesus in our pain? Instead, we're hoping and expecting to be rescued. We're expecting to be freed from our troubles, when instead what we find is that Jesus comes close in our pain. And the very thing that we fear becomes the place where we meet him. Perhaps that diagnosis, perhaps that marriage breakup, that debt problem, that unemployment, that long-term disability or illness, that rejection, that anxiety, that loss, that accident, that unanswered prayer, that place that you feel of complete helplessness and hopelessness and despair is actually where Jesus is waiting to find you and to be found. In the storm, you might not recognize him, but he's there waiting for you. And finally, in the storm, Jesus speaks to us. The disciples have seen a ghost. Well, they think they have, don't they? But they soon realize that this person that's walking on the water almost as if he's going to pass them, is, in fact, their friend, Jesus. Perhaps Jesus knew something. Perhaps Jesus knew that it was only when they'd come to the end of their fear and the end of their limited resources that they would be able to see him clearly. Perhaps Jesus knew that only when they could see that there was no way out, only when the options that they had were all used up, only when the storm had got so bad... Perhaps Jesus knew that it was only then they would be able to discover that the one that they'd chosen to follow was, in fact, God himself. Remember what Jesus says to them? It is I. 
there in the storm was God, the great I am. So there's no end to the storm yet. There's no answer as to why Jesus sent them out there on ahead of himself, not yet. There's no let up to the battering wind and waves. There's nothing but the very presence of the living God. The one who created the sea, the wind, the waves, the one who created the world and everything in it, the one who holds it all by his powerful hand, the one who is master over it all. There he is. There he is in the middle of the storm, in the middle of your storm. Whatever you might be facing this morning, he is there. And he says to you, take courage. It is I. He says to you, don't, don't be afraid. You know, even if our storm feels like it's never going to end, Jesus speaks into our storm and says, I am enough. I am enough for you. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he faced the fiercest battle against sin. He faced the worst possible storm. And as he hung there, he died and he defeated sin and he defeated death so that there would be nothing that we could face that would be stronger or more powerful than he is. I think that's amazing. That's amazing that Jesus comes to us and speaks to us in the storm. Well, we haven't even got to the Peter bit yet. We're going to do that a bit later. Um, that's the first part of the story that we've read together. But before we look at how Peter responds to meeting Jesus in the middle of a storm, I want to pause for a minute. And I've asked Roger if he would come and share something of the storm that they as a family have been facing. It's really kind of him and really appreciate it, Roger. Um, we'd be interested to know, did you, were you aware of Jesus in the storm? Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Hey, that was good. As many of you will know, last April, my son's long-term partner, Charlotte, just 25 years of age, and mother to our two darling granddaughters, Clover, just over two, and Violet, eight months, was diagnosed with an incurable brain tumour. Medically speaking, she was given two years to live. And as an ordained Baptist minister myself, yes, I'm one of the Moreland's tribe. <laughs> you might think I should be able to cope with this devastating news. And in a way, I was. But if I'm honest with you, at first, I just could not come to terms with this. Why had God let this happen? Why were my many prayers for this family not answered? Where indeed was God in all this? Do you know, I found it so difficult to pray. I love singing, and I found it so difficult to sing songs of worship to the Lord. But then remembering times in the past when God had remained faithful to me in very difficult circumstances, including my own cancer diagnosis. I realised that he could see the bigger picture, even though I couldn't. 
So I began to pour out my heart to him in prayer. Now if Charlotte has not accepted Jesus Christ as her Lord and Saviour, I felt burdened to step out in faith and explain to her that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I explained it to her more explicitly than I ever had done before. And sure enough, as I regularly drove her to her appointments over a six-week period at Southampton Hospital, the Lord provided many opportunities for me to explain it to her. And she asked many questions, showing a deep interest, still seeking to understand the truth about Christianity. We have shared Alpha material with her, and she has looked up many key verses. Now, during the last five months, I have found that the only way to cope with this situation is to keep looking to Jesus for inspiration and for help. I put my trust in him, as Peter did at first in Matthew 14. Jesus is definitely my rock in times of trouble and has been there for me just as he was for Peter. I have been acutely aware of his presence, reaching out and comforting me, particularly when I have persevered in prayer and worship, even though I found it difficult to do so. When I take Clover to the beach, I have to carry her into the sea. She's too frightened sometimes to stand down. And she clings to me so tightly, she knows I won't let her go because she trusts me. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm clinging to Jesus. I trust in him because I know that he'll always be there for me. And at this time, I would just like to say thank you for all of you who've been praying for Charlotte and supporting us. It means such a great deal. And Charlotte, who knows that our church friends, as she calls them, are praying for her on a regular basis. Thank you. Wow, a huge uh, thank you to Roger for sharing so honestly of his wrestles and struggles in a very, uh, what is still a very real situation for him, to see how he's chosen to call upon Jesus' name to keep his eyes above the waves. In a minute, we're going to um, continue the story and look at how Peter um, began to do that and struggled with that. Um, and before we do that, we're going to spend a, a short time in worship, in song worship together. And we're going to sing that beautiful song that says, I will call upon your name, keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. That's our choice, isn't it? To call out to him um, in times of struggle. Uh, David, over to you. Thank you so much. Amen. Do sit down. So the second part of our story, I'll just read uh, the words to you again. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Well, just for a few minutes, I want to look at, um, at Peter, just for a few minutes. What can we take from Peter's response to Jesus to help us in the storm? Well, I think Peter shows us that in the storm, we need to do whatever it takes to stay close to Jesus. Do whatever it takes to stay close to Jesus. When Peter realized it was Jesus and not a ghost, he longed to be close to him again, didn't he? His impetuous nature, I guess, was partly to blame. It's the kind of thing Peter would do, isn't it? Leap over the boat. But I think deep down, what motivated Peter was this desire to be close to Jesus again. Peter, I think, remembered Jesus' call to follow him, even if it meant doing something as crazy and as risky as walking on water. Peter was going to follow Jesus. It would seem to me from this story that there are two reactions uh, when Jesus shows up. We can be like the disciples who sit in the boat and refuse to see anything but the storm, the waves and the troubles around, and I think often become cynical perhaps or a bit skeptical or a bit bitter about what's happening. Or we can have the eyes of faith like Peter and see that Jesus is right there with us in the storm, speaking his words of love as he always does, calling us to follow him. I wonder, will we be obedient to follow the call, not only when the sea is lovely and calm and when all is going well, but when the tough times come and the chips are down and all that's going wrong does go wrong. Peter realized that Jesus wasn't just a kind man who healed people and made lives whole again. He realized that Jesus was the son of God that Jesus had the power and the control over the wind and the waves, that he had the power to heal and he had the power to save. In the storm, do whatever it takes to stay close to Jesus. But also I think Peter reminds us that in the storm, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. The desire to be with Jesus is what um, got Peter out of the boat, wasn't it? He wanted to be with Jesus. If it's you, Lord, call me to come. Wanting to be with Jesus also made him take that risk. And faith held him up as he walked on the water, enabled him to walk, enabled him to stop thinking. Can't imagine what it must be like to walk on water. But it was taking his eyes off of Jesus that sank him. You know, what we think about, what we focus on, determines how we handle our circumstances. We're not told in uh, this passage, whether Jesus said anything to Peter. I wonder if he did. I wonder what he said while Peter was walking on the water, whether he encouraged him. These are the words that I imagine him saying, three words, don't look down. That's what I think he was saying to Peter, because the challenge for Peter was right under his feet, wasn't it? For Peter, the strength to walk was not in his legs, but in his eyes. That's where the strength lay. How often we think we can do it on our own. We just need to be strong or brave or bite our lips or pray more or go to church a bit more. 
when actually all Jesus is asking is that we lift our eyes and look to him. Jesus didn't, um, sorry, Peter didn't walk on water because of his faith, but because of the person he put his faith in. He put his faith in the Son of God. That's what enabled him to walk towards Jesus. I wonder this morning, do you hear that question that Jesus asked Peter as he began to sink? That gentle question, why did you doubt? Perhaps like Peter, you've lost sight of Jesus this morning. Perhaps you're carrying a heavy burden of grief or pain or injustice or worry or guilt. Perhaps the wind is against you this morning. Perhaps the relationship breakdown or illness that's going on and on, a situation that just isn't changing. It's not a harsh rebuke that Jesus is saying to us this morning. It's a gentle inquiry, a gentle reminder. Why are you doubting? Why do you doubt me? Keep looking up, Jesus says. Keep trusting in God. I love the way Matthew uses the word immediately several times in this passage. And he says, doesn't he, immediately, immediately as Peter began to sink, as he took his eyes off of Jesus, Jesus reached out and caught him. How much closer could Jesus be than when he catches us? I love the picture of, get it right this time, Grandpa. Grampy, Grampy. Um, holding on to his little granddaughter, holding on tight. How close, how much closer could he be than when he's holding her in his arms and she's clinging on tight as she sees the waves? When we need him the most, when the waves are at their strongest, Jesus is reaching out his hand to us, the hand that has nail marks on it, showing us the price that he has paid so that whenever we face those difficult storms, that difficult time, they won't consume us. They don't need to consume us because Jesus is greater and stronger. That love that drove him to the cross is the love that holds you, that holds me now or whenever we face that dark time, that storm that we are in. Perhaps we hear that gentle voice, why are you doubting me? It is I. Don't be afraid. Shall we just stop for a moment and allow some of these things to take their place in our minds, something we might need to take away with us. Perhaps as you think about storms you've been in or the storm that you're in at the moment, perhaps you've been reminded this morning that you are still in the center of God's will and he hasn't lost sight of you. Maybe you are in a storm and you're not recognizing where Jesus is, but you need to hear that he wants to meet with you in that difficult place and that Jesus speaks. Jesus chooses to speak to us every day those same words. It is I. You don't need to be afraid. This morning, perhaps you've heard a new challenge. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes you to stay close to Jesus through the storm. And I wonder... What does it mean for you to keep your eyes on Jesus this week? What does it mean to keep looking up? Keep looking up. Just a moment of quiet.
Father, I pray that you would help us to be honest with you. If we're sinking, to allow you to reach out and hold us. If we're jumping out of the boat, then give us the eyes of faith to keep looking at you, we pray. If we're struggling to hear you, may we hear your voice speak this morning. It's I, don't be afraid. Father, I pray that we'd do whatever it takes to stay close to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you stay close to us. Draw me close to you. Jesus, never let me go. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I'm your friend. You're my desire. No one else will do because nothing else can take your place to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find the way through the storm through whatever it is I'm facing at the moment, bring me back to you because you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. You're all I want. Help me know that you are near. Let's uh, sing that refrain together. <laughs> 